Welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's life-changing message from the we thank you, Church. God, that we pray you are empowered you and encouraged your by the Word measure. of God. And that you increase us grace upon grace. I thank you, Father, this morning. We wait on you, Holy Ghost, right now. If you have sickness in your body this morning, I want you to just lift your hand. In church, I want you to look around. If you see someone with their hand raised, I want you just to reach out and, and touch them this morning. We're going to let the corporate body minister to each other right now. Lay hands on them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand against sickness and disease this morning. We stand against cancer. We stand against pain in the body. We stand against those issues in the body right now. You are the healer and you're in this room this morning. And we thank you, God, that you are more than able. You are more than able to save and to heal and to deliver. And that's what you're doing even right now across this room, God. You're causing healing to flow right now. You purchased it. You paid for it. You've already sealed the deal, Jesus. So, Father, right now we thank you for the anointing breaking the yoke of sickness right now. For the anointing breaking the yoke of disease right now. For suicide and depression being broken right now in the name of Jesus. Anxiety and fear. We command those spirits to go now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that you are the deliverer. You are the healer. You're the one who is more than able. We thank you for it, Father, right now, all across this room. All across this room. We thank you for it, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Wanda and Raymond, if you'll come. They both have a testimony that we're going to share this morning before we get into the Word. Hallelujah. It's an exciting morning. Come on, Wanda. You can be seated. If you have children this morning, ages 2 to 10, uh, they're released for children's ministry. Uh, Letitia and, and uh, Arai are there for them. Hallelujah. Wanda, go ahead. I just have a really exciting praise. Uh, I got to witness a, a Jesus miracle this past Thursday. I went to my hairdresser, and after... Uh, she finished with my hair. She said, I know a storm's coming, but we've got to pray because I've been praying with her ever since I started going to her in October. And anyway, as we were praying, she said, Wanda, she said, can you pray for my, my ear? It's my right ear. She said, I have pain. It's stuffy, and it's just, I can't, it, it's just stuffy, and it's just filled. I can't hear out of it. And I said, okay, and I started praying, and all of a sudden she said, oh, my goodness, she said, what in the world? Oh, my goodness, my ear, my ear. And she said, Jesus healed my ear. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And afterwards, she said, when you were praying, she said, everything that was in my ear, it broke loose and stuff was draining down my throat and fluid was draining out of my ear. And I checked with her the next morning. I said, how's your ear? She said, it's perfect. And so, yeah, God is a God of miracles. <laughs> Come on, that's taking what has been in the building and taking it out of the building. That's the goal, right? We don't want it just to stay in here. The gospel belongs out there. First of all, I want to give all the glory to God and Jesus Christ. He's brought me a long way, and he's been there every step. 
and uh, I appreciate y'all praying for me and and praying for my mother. Um, I've came a long way from five years ago and to where I am now. Um, got a good job. Um, it's a hard job, but I work hard at it every day. And um, Sister BJ last weekend on Sunday gave uh, Lord gave her a word to give to me that um, keep on pressing on and you know that there's going to be a opportunity for a good job to come through. Well, on Tuesday morning, I woke up and I had a text on my phone and uh, to give uh, the supervisor a call, and um, it was the Lord. The Lord um, gave me a job promotion. Not, not just a little job promotion, uh, a very large job promotion in the company. Yes, and so um, I give praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come Amen. on. Come on, that's awesome. That's awesome. Look at that. That's body ministry, though. Do you see both of those testimonies came through the believer doing the work of ministry? And that's what we've been talking about for weeks is that it's not my job to do the ministry. I get to equip you and you get to go do it. Right? That, that's what it's about. It's taking and being the laborers of the harvest. It's not a one-man show. It's the body of Christ working together. So BJ gives a prophetic word. Keep pressing on. God's bringing the job two days later. Come on. Job promotion. Like, isn't that incredible? I mean, just, just absolutely awesome. And if you don't know Raymond's story, I mean, it, it is one of God uh, accelerating time. He should still be in prison, and God got him out. And uh, Yolanda should be dead. I mean, she had cancer. She was dying, and we prayed for her, and she's, she's healed. I mean, that's incredible, y'all. Isn't God good? God is so good. And I'm telling you that uh, this year, as we've been talking about, is, is a year of, of the, the former rain and the latter rain. It's a, it's a year that God is filling the house with grain and wine and oil. And we're stepping into a fresh season. Uh, Jeannie had a testimony this week. Come tell us what happened in Project Unity. Come on. I mean, this is incredible. Uh, well, I guess when you have a heart's desire and you, there was a grant opportunity available and I... I looked at it. It looked really big and overwhelming and serving 10 counties, uh, youth and families, family and youth services uh, in 10 different counties. And so I did study the grant very well. I, I bared down. I gave it to the Lord to write it because it was too overwhelming for me. And I took off work and went home so he could really speak to me in this grant. And uh, we heard word on Tuesday with their intent to negotiate with us. Uh, that we have had a successful award, and I believe, yeah, 1.4 million uh, each year for five years. Come on. Come on. If you don't know what Project Unity is doing in the community, it's incredible what they're doing for families, and, and they exist to end child abuse. They exist to break down systemic racism. I mean, what Project Unity is doing is absolutely incredible. So to, to get that grant, 1.5 1.4 million for five years. Like, come on, somebody. That's some breakthrough right there. Uh, I want to share one more testimony before we get into the Word. Some of you know my journey with a car, right? Anyone know that journey, right? You know, car after car and, and then having a paperweight outside my house. Like, it, it's been a journey. And uh, I just had this peace that the Lord was going to do something. I didn't know how it was going to happen. 
Well, Thursday, I had someone from Houston say, we're buying you a car, and we're not just buying you any car, we want you to go pick the car. And, and don't worry about this or that. And so it's not in my possession yet, but on Monday, I will have a 2020 Genesis with 4,000 miles on it that is free and clear to my name essentially in the process. Such a miracle. And so I just want to say to you that, that we began to say at the beginning of the year that this was a year where you're getting back things were, that were stolen. You're getting back things that were stolen. And uh, Melanie even has a testimony of that this week. Her husband's truck stolen, and God brought it back. I mean, just absolutely incredible. And so I just, I just want to say to you that, that we have, we've crossed a threshold. Wednesday night at intercession, uh, if you missed intercession, I'm telling you, there was such an anointing in the room uh, that, that hit us Wednesday night for corporate intercession. Uh, but we declared that March is a month of marching forward in intercession. And so I want to invite you specifically in the month of March on Wednesday nights to be here for intercession. If you can come at 7 o'clock, it's so powerful what God is doing through corporate intercession. A couple other things before I jump into the Word. How many of you know we received a special offering last week? Anyone remember that? For, for a new youth pastor, right? We're on the hunt. Well, this was the special offering, $3,693 into the youth pastor fund in one Sunday. Like, isn't that incredible? Good job, church. I just want to say, really good job. Thank you for your faithfulness. And then finally, I want to greet our district youth directors uh, from the East Texas District of the Pentecostal Church of God, uh, Terry and Jessica Hatcher. So great to have you with us this morning. Uh, they, they oversee all of East Texas uh, for uh, the, the, the youth ministry, Impact East Texas, and they're doing an incredible job seeing uh, revival amongst young people. And uh, we know that in this season, God is visiting Gen Z in a way that, that is so unique. And so they've got a big job to do. So keep them in prayer. So good to have you all this morning. All right. Will you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5? I said Bibles. 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 I speak English sometimes. Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at a uh, familiar passage this morning. Uh, we came out of Encounter Weekend. If you've not been through an Encounter Weekend, it's a Friday night and a Saturday. It's one of our, our journeys of discipleship here at the church where we take you into an encounter. We don't give you all the details uh, because we don't want you to come with any expectations other than meeting God. And uh, we had some incredible things happen this weekend. Following service this morning, we've got baptisms. And so we've got four people joining us in the water baptism this morning. So that'll be directly after. We've got lots of food left over uh, from Encounter Weekend. So stay in fellowship and just uh, enjoy each other. But Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And if I had to give a title to this morning's message, it's Placing a Demand on the Anointing. Placing a Demand on the Anointing. Mark chapter 5 verse 25 is where we're going to begin. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she had been saying to herself, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, 
you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came, down, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. I thank you, Father, that when you send forth your word to accomplish uh, what you send it to do, it does. And that doesn't return void. And I thank you, Father, that uh, this morning that there would be an anointing in this room that would make preaching easy, that I might speak your word, and that, Father, when I pull my hands back, it'd be your handprint that's left, God. That it would be you who's touched your people, who's ministered to your people. And I thank you, Father. I recognize my complete and total dependence on you this morning. I can't do it without you. But it's in you that we live and move and have our being. And we thank you that you're in the room this morning. And we thank you, Father, for your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. This woman's in a tragic situation. If you know this story at all, you're familiar with it. She's in a tragic situation. Her condition was more than just a regular cycle. She had a terrible condition. It had plagued her. Uh, She had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And under Jewish law, such a condition meant she was unclean. And as a result, certain legal obligations had to be observed. She was bound up. During this period of blood flow, she remained unclean. And then for a period of seven days after the flow of blood had ceased, she still remained unclean. And this had been going on for 12 years. That for a minimum of 14 days a month, she couldn't be around anybody. Anyone that touches her or anything that she had touched would be unclean until evening. That person would then have to wash their clothes, bathe in water. Difficult, remember, no running water in those days. This is a task. You touch her, you're now unclean. You've got to wash all your stuff. And so even when a woman had her monthly period, she was essentially removed from social contact. I mean, there was no social interaction during that time. And so for the woman in Mark 5, this law meant that because she was continually in this state, that she was permanently a social outcast, permanently removed from physical contact, permanently removed from relationship, and would not have been able to participate either in social activity, no birthday parties, no family dinners, no social gatherings, and definitely no religious worship, not allowed in the temple. Not allowed to gather in the synagogue, not allowed to worship, and I can only imagine the rejection and fear that would torment her. Can you imagine just, I mean, you can't be around anybody. And like anyone facing the problems she faced, this woman had gone to desperate lengths to see her condition healed. Mark says it this way, had endured much at the hands of many physicians, spent all that she had, it had not helped at all, And she'd only grown worse. This isn't surprising, given the fact that if you read the Talmud, there are no less than 11 cures given for this condition. 11 different ways that you could bring healing to someone in the Talmud. Things like this. Carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in summer and a cotton rag in winter. Yeah, we're going to go find an ostrich egg in the middle of Israel, and we're going to find this egg and we're going to carry it in ashes. And that's going to solve this problem. Here's another one. Carry a barley corn, which had been found in the dung of a donkey. That sounds like a real good solution, right? Let's go find a donkey that had eaten some corn. 
That's what the Talmud says. And under this revolutionary medical advice, she gets worse. Go figure, right? And then she hears of Jesus. She hears of Jesus, but to approach him was dangerous because it's against all Jewish law and custom for her to be out in public. And this Jesus that she hears about typically surrounded by crowds of people. Typically, I mean, there's no getting to Jesus without having to touch someone. Pushing, shoving to get contact. And everyone she touches to get to him is now unclean. She's risking her whole life, but she hears, and no doubt, can you imagine, she probably disguises herself, probably puts something over her face, gets low. She steps over her fear barrier. She gets to Jesus, and she touches just his clothes. The King James says, the hem of his garment. What is that garment? What was Jesus wearing that would have been so significant that this woman would have understood? Come here, Hector. You know, I always use Hector as, as our, our, our example, right? Put that on. Wrap that around your shoulders. Here's Jesus in the throngs of people. He's surrounded. Jesus' fame has, has, has risen. It's all over the place. And Jesus would have been wearing a tallit, which is what this is here. And on the edge of this tallit is the fringe. And she would have been looking for that fringe. She would have been looking to get, because there was an understanding that there was a significance in a rabbi's fringe. It represent the word of the law. And she knew that if she could just get to that, if maybe if she could just come and con- Remember, she's not been in religious ceremonies for 12 years. Remember, she'd been alone for... Maybe if I can just touch the law a little bit. Maybe if this famous rabbi who, who apparently does miracles, maybe if I can just get to the law, if I can just get to something close, something tangible, something will happen. And so she pushes through the crowd. She gets to him. She, she touches the hem of his garment. And what happens? She's healed. No one's any the wiser. No one knows what has just happened. No one recognizes that this woman had pushed through who she was. However, she didn't count on one thing. She didn't understand a vital spiritual dynamic that operates when faith contact is made to the one who is carrying the anointing and power of God on their lives. There is always a sense of outflow of the power of God. When you begin to walk in the anointing, Wanda described it. We, she prayed for the woman. The ear opens up. There's a tangible sense something has happened. She didn't know that. The question Jesus asked may on the surface seem ridiculous. He's being pressed on every side. Everyone's trying to get to Jesus. He's in a crowd. You're going to get touched. But he says, who, who touched my garments? Who touched the fringe? The disciples weren't too impressed with the question. However, the touch was no ordinary touch. It was a faith touch. A touch that demanded something from Jesus. And the woman, fearing and trembling, identifies herself. And she had plenty to fear. I'm sure everyone in the community knew who this woman was. Here she had, at the hands of many physicians. She's the outcast. She's the one that when Claudia makes soup, leaves it 10 feet away from the doorstep because she can't get near it, right? Don't get too near to the woman because you'll be unclean. Now you've got to go hide yourself for a week. Now you've got to go wash. Knowing that she would now be recognized, all those around her would now be termed unclean. Her future would look fairly bleak. 
And if she had some real strict Sadducees or Pharisees around her, they would have stoned her to death. And underneath all this is the fact that Jesus also identified the fact that she had touched him immediately, meaning he would now be considered unclean. He was aware, someone's touched me. And discovering who it was, but what does Jesus do? He sends her off healed and in peace. And of course, beyond this simple story is a major adjustment Jesus makes to the Jewish law. Because under Jewish law, the unclean touch you and you become unclean. But under the new institution that Jesus was bringing is that you touch the unclean and they become clean. That we are now under uh, a new covenant, a new idea that I'm not afraid of the unclean. That as a matter of fact, I need to be amongst the unclean because when I touch the unclean, they become clean. The leper gets healed. Those who are unclean, when they come in contact with the anointing on my life, something happens. There's an outflow of power. He was throwing it upside down. He was changing the rules. And Jesus once and for all by his own example moves the entire crowd from law to grace. And there are two principles that this story unfolds that I want you to get this morning. Number one is this. Her desire for a touch was greater than her fear of the crowd. Her desire for it. You have to get to the place where your desire for Jesus is greater than the fear of those around you. And most often it will be the religious that pull you back the most. See, the world, in its crazy state right now, they love the supernatural. There's a hunger for the supernatural. It's the religious that go, that's too radical. That's a little too Pentecostal for me. Just pull back your tongues just a little bit. Pull back your, your, your radical praise just a little bit. It's the religious we got to watch for. The world, when I, when I talk to the world, those who don't know Jesus, they're intrigued by my stories. The religious go, did that really happen? Does God really do that today? That doesn't fit my theology. I don't care what your theology is. Your theology needs to become a theophany. You need an encounter with the Christ. Because when you have an encounter with the Christ, it changes everything. And you've got to overcome the fear of what has been your norm your whole life. Some of you have been so bound for so long, you don't know what it's like to get out of your comfort zone. But one person said this, the greatest inspiration is often born of desperation. The fellow who thinks he can't is probably right. The greatest inspiration is often born of desperation. When we begin to get desperate for the touch of God, we will move past all of our boundaries. Success for an athlete will often be measured by how desperate they are to win. Personally, I've always been desperate to win. I'm real competitive. If any of you know me, you don't play cards with me. It just doesn't go well. I have to get saved afterwards. Because I've just always had this thing, I've got to win. I've got to win. So I don't invite church members over to play board games. It doesn't work. You'd have a whole new side of your pastor. But if we begin to have this desperation on the inside, I'm going to see the enemy overcome in my life. I'm going to see my whole family saved. I'm going to see sickness healed. I'm going to see generational curses broken. I'm too desperate for things to remain the same. I'm too desperate. I reached a point in my own life, I'll never forget, at 14, when I was so 
desperate. Someone's hungry back there. Hallelujah. They're desperate. That's desperation, right? Let me out. You need to be like him this morning. Let me out. I remember at 14, I'd come back to the Lord, but the depression was so real at 14. I remember going in the cabinet, and there was a bottle of Oxycontin, and I took that bottle out of the cabinet, and I took the whole thing, just downed it all. And I remember laying on the floor so sick, and I said, God, this pain is so real. But if you, will, if you will touch me, I know I'll live. And immediately all the pills came up. They hadn't even dissolved. I mean, they were just all on the ground. And at that point, I made the decision, I will never be more desperate for anything than I am for God. And I've lived my life like that since. I'm desperate for Him. Desperation is always the breeding ground for miracles. Desperation is always the place where God meets you. If you'll get desperate enough to say, what, I don't care what anybody else thinks. See, the problem is many people have simply accepted their lot in life. They've become complacent and allowed mediocrity to settle over their lives. And they just say, well, whatever will be, will be. Que sera. Alongside of this, there are assignments from the enemy that come against the Christian that would try to get them to settle for less than what God has for them. Jesus paid much too high of a price for us to settle for less than what he paid for. And God challenges us to reach beyond our lot in life. Complacency, one person said this, complacency is a blight that saps energy, dulls the attitude, and causes a drain on the brain. The first symptom of complacency is satisfaction with things as they are. The second is rejection of things as they might be. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and abhor the new. Like water, the man who is complacent follows the easiest course downhill and he draws strength from looking back. You can't be complacent, church. You can't allow complacency to become your way of life. For me personally, this became a huge issue growing up in a Pentecostal church that didn't believe in miracles. I went to my pastor, and he said to me, I said, Pastor, why don't we see miracles? I was eight. Why don't we see miracles? And he says, well, God doesn't really do that anymore. For him, the crux of Christianity was speaking in tongues. Some of you have heard me tell that story. Some of you heard me tell the story of Sister Kay, who used to grab your tongue and shake it till you got baptized in the Holy Ghost. So thankful that's not how it happened for me. But it created this distance where I said, this can't be it. The whole experience of a Christian can't be Sister May standing up on Sunday, shouting in tongues and giving a word that God doesn't like television. Because that was our Sunday experience. And every now and then we'd have the wild-eyed, crazy evangelist who'd come in and shake people's shoulders out of sockets all in the name of the Holy Ghost. That was my experience growing up. 
I knew there had to be more. Some of you at Encounter Weekend heard me tell the story of when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I couldn't stop speaking in tongues for three days. I'd go to school and I could stop while I was at school. But the minute I'd get back to my bedroom, and my mom finally shut my door and said, don't come out till it stops. You're disturbing the house. At that time, my parents were backslidden. And so there was this, this thing on the inside of me about the empowerment of the Spirit that I knew that God had more. I remember we used to have, the one thing I can credit our little Pentecostal church for was tarrying meetings on Sunday night. That was the one thing that, that I can look back and go, it was that that changed my life. Because they did make room for Holy Ghost to show up, even if it was just for speaking in tongues. But it was in that that I began to have this hunger and that powerful experience of the baptism of the Spirit. But the key was this, is that out of that powerful experience continued to birth a desperation for the more of God. It continued to birth a desperation that there has to be more. And church, you have to be desperate. You have to have a tenacity. It's interesting to note that in this present move of the Spirit, what we're seeing God do is there are those who don't easily break through into what God is doing. For some people, it's a fight to get into the move of God. For some people, but I, I went through all those issues, even as a little kid asking, God, why can't I get the baptism yet? Is there sin in my life? Do you not like me, God? God, have you forgotten me? When I was contending for miracles because I knew that God wanted to do miracles, I would say, God, did I do something wrong? Why aren't, why aren't we seeing the miracles? And that took me on that crazy road for two years in the occult and into darkness and all that stuff. But when I came back to the Lord, I had a desperation. And that's when I began to see the outflow of miracles around my life. 37 people raised from the dead. Arms grown back. I saw a glass eye in Northern California turn into an eye of flesh in an instant. Out of desperation. It's not because I'm special or I'm anything. It's because there's desperation. This is the ministry of the believer. Not the ministry of the pastor. That's why I emphasize this to you every single week. And I will never stop preaching this. It is not a one man show. It's you, the ministry of the believer. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, For God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. I equip you so that the saints can do the work of ministry so that collectively we might come to the full maturation of faith. I can't be fully mature until you're fully mature, and you can't be fully mature until I'm fully mature, and how do we do that? We work together. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But it's birthed in desperation. It's birthed in that place. And sometimes God needs to bring us to that place where nothing seems to work. Where we need a divine intervention in our lives. Where a desperation builds in our lives that causes us to seek until the breakthrough happens. And I have found that when we do respond to the desperation and eventually gain the breakthrough, there comes a deep sense of satisfaction. There comes this deep sense of fulfillment that touches the very depths of our hearts. And the result was this. The woman broke through the barriers of fear, intimidation, rejection. She focused on what she believed God had for her. You've got to get your focus on Him. 
and what you know that the word says he has for you. What was the result? It was her healing. I remember when I saw the film Braveheart. Anyone love that movie? It's a great movie, Braveheart. Overwhelming focus was a man that would not settle for compromise or less than the ideal. Yet all around him were people that would compromise and settle for temporary comfort. And I think that too many times in church, that's what we do. We settle for the temporary comfort of maybe a good service. We talked about for four weeks the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I said last Sunday, so many of us go, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit was really moving Sunday. Wasn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. I was so blessed. I got my Holy Ghost chills and now I'll live empty for the rest of the week. And I'll come back to the buffet and I'll pick and choose what I eat at church the next Sunday and I'll be settled with that. And I'm good because it's temporary comfort. But what we're really doing is we're avoiding the inner issues of the heart that keep us from fully surrendering to the move of God that should be in our everyday life. We've got to face those things. She had to face those things, break through the fear. There are things God has for each one of us that we similarly must be focused and committed to gaining. And they won't be gained through a complacent, fatalistic approach because there are natural and spiritual barriers that need to be break, broken through. And God brings us often to that place of desperation that would say, at all cost I must. At all cost I must perceive that often God challenges areas in our life of complacency and mediocrity in order to see us break through the plateaus of life and Christian experience and enter into the fresh things he has for us. So the first thing that she did, that she did is she broke through her complacency. But the second thing that she did, and this is the second point this morning, she placed a demand on the anointing. We have got to learn to place a demand on the anointing. I'm sure there were so many in that crowd with needs of healing. Why did she get her healing while others kept their problems? The answer lies in the nature of her touch. She placed a demand on the anointing and ministry of Jesus. I don't care who's preaching. I never put a demand on a person's anointing. I need the anointing Jesus has. I don't need the gift of man. I need the anointing. I need what Jesus is carrying. So I'll go into places that I'm like, okay, God, I don't even like this guy, but I know you're in the room. Can't stand their preaching. I get offended at things they say, but if I know Jesus is in the room, I put a demand on it. You learn to put a demand on the, on the anointing of Jesus, and in doing so, there was a tangible and powerfully experienced outflow and inflow from Jesus to the woman of the Holy Spirit. And when she touched Jesus, she made a vital connection because that connection was faith and expectancy. There must be a demand. And this raises a vital principle on receiving from God. Many people come to God on the basis of, well, if God wants to touch me, he can. If, if God wants to do it, I'll, I'll just let him do it in his sweet time. And however, God, I can't. I, I'm just going to get on a little soapbox for a second. Y'all okay with that? If you're not, that's okay. I'll be done in about 20 minutes. I cannot stand when I say, how can I just pray the will of God? If it's God's will to heal. He already proved it was His will. He already proved it. Were the stripes not enough? Was the brutal cross not enough? He already proved it. And when we say things like that, you know what we're doing? We're exposing our own unbelief. Well, I don't know if God can or wants to. And so I'll just step back 
into a religious expression that lacks faith. When Lazarus died, that's exactly what Martha did. I believe I'll see him at the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Why are you waiting for another dispensation? Resurrection just showed up. Like, am I not? I'm right here. She placed a demand on the anointing. This woman, we don't even know her name. But this woman changed history because it was through her demand on the anointing that it flipped the entirety of creation from law to grace in a moment. It changed the rules in a moment. We don't even know her name, but she placed a demand. God wants to touch me. That's fine. That's not how Holy Spirit operates. This woman demonstrated one of the greatest keys to receiving from God, making connection, placing a demand on the anointing, expecting to receive and going in for what Holy Spirit has to offer. When we're experiencing a move of the Spirit, I tell people all the time, when God shows up, things happen that I'm not even comfortable with. If you know me, I, I, I act like an extrovert, but on the inside, I'm the introvert that's looking for my book. I don't, I don't like to shake under the power of God, and I will not give a courtesy fall. It's not going to happen. But when God hits, it just happens. Sometimes people laugh. Sometimes people cry. Sometimes people shake. And, and here's, here's how I've lived. God, if it's you, I want it. If it's not, shut it down. I've told the story several times about the church when I was there, and I'm on the front row, and here's this woman scantily clad, hardly any clothes on, up at the front worshiping, and I'm standing there in judgment. Is someone going to put something on this woman? This is distracting. Pastor leans over and says, isn't that beautiful? She was a prostitute three weeks ago. Got radically saved and delivered of heroin. How dare I judge what God's doing in someone else just because it doesn't fit how I think it should fit? If it's God, I want it. That's how we live as a church. If it's God, we want it. And we trust that if it's not, He'll give us the discernment to shut it down. But we've got to place a demand on the anointing in our midst. It's not just a sovereign outpouring. It's an active involvement in reaching out for what God is doing. If Asbury has taught us anything, it was a group of students who were just hungry for God to move. And they sensed something was happening and they leaned into it. That's a principle I've learned over the years. If God's doing something, I just lean into it. People say, well, I don't know if I feel anything when I get prayed for. My spiritual father, Brent, tells the story. He's praying for this man. And, he, and the man says, well, I don't feel anything. He goes, you don't feel a thing? He goes, no, I don't. He says, well, I guess sometimes I feel like I lean to the right when I feel the anointing. He goes, well, lean into it. Involve yourself in it. The man, the next time he was getting prayed for, decided to lean in, went into a powerful encounter with the Lord for three hours. You got to involve yourself in it. It's not a, well, if God just wants to do it, hallelujah. That's such a religious lack of faith. In practical terms, it means that we need to expect something to happen when we touch Jesus. It's, same, it's the same principle when we have hands laid on us. Don't receive prayer if there's not an expectancy for something to happen. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm really dealing with unbelief. Okay, well, let's get that cast out and then have some faith to believe for God to do something. 
One of the great principles in the scripture is the laying on of hands. Behind that principle is the understanding that when hands are laid upon us, that there is a transference of blessing or anointing from the person laying hands on us to the person having hands laid on them. But the key for that to operate is expectancy. It's believing that when I make contact, something will happen. I place a demand on the anointing. I place a demand on it. Often I pray for people. It's like praying for an ice block. I'm like, get me a blowtorch, somebody. Let's get rid of all this unbelief. Have some faith. You just need a mustard seed, just a little bit. Just a little bit. There's people that are like, there's no faith. And then there's those that are like a vacuum cleaner. They're like, I'm going to get everything I can. It's Wanda. Wanda's like, that's me. Yep, give it all. I want it. When I receive prayer, I try to be like a vacuum cleaner. I really do. I'm like, give, give it all. And if there's any rubbish in it, just toss it out. But the key is this, that there is an expectancy and faith response that is placing a demand on the anointing that works in a person's life. And the result of this woman is that she focused and in faith received her healing. She focused and by faith received her healing. And the question that I have for you this morning is what are the barriers between you and the blessing God desires for your life? What is the expectancy in your heart in receiving from God? Persistence and faith are powerful cousins that will eventually see a breakthrough come into our lives. They work together. Persistency and faith. You need an impartation of faith. Find Pastor Anna when she's at church the next time. She'll impart some faith to you. I'm telling you, I don't know a woman who has greater faith than my wife. All that she walks through on a daily basis, it's incredible. She's home taking care of babies. They've had COVID this week. She'll be here for baptisms. They're not positive anymore. They're, they're fine. But she said, I just need the morning. But I'm telling you, faith places a demand on the anointing. Faith places a demand that when you come into contact with God, something's going to happen. There's no one in Scripture that came into contact with Jesus that something didn't happen. And if we really believe that God moves in our midst, then something should always happen when we come in. Mike, if you can put on some closing music for me, that'd be great. I want to say to you this morning that I believe more than ever before, specifically for this house, that we are getting ready to see I prophesied it Wednesday night. The Lord spoke to me so powerfully. The month of April is a threshold month for us. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know what all that means. Sometimes God says something to me, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what that means. Okay, I'll just say it by faith. Place a demand on it. But I believe the month of April is going to be a threshold month for us. And I believe that we're going to begin to see a greater increase of miracles we're going to begin to see a greater increase of salvations. We're going to see a greater increase of deliverances. That it's happening. We're watching it happen before our eyes. The stories that I'm hearing on a weekly basis of people getting touched in supermarkets and people getting touched in offices. And, and I believe the harvest is coming. Why? Because we stopped praying for the harvest. That's why. We started praying for the laborers. The harvest has been ready for 2,000 years. He says, ready, look up. It's all around you. He said, pray for the, for the laborers. And when we shifted that prayer, we saw a shift happen. And I'm telling you that we're getting ready to step into what I believe is the greatest outpouring of the Spirit for this house that we've ever seen.
We've, ain't, we've not seen anything yet. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen rapidly. Amen. We pray that your life was impacted today by the presence of God. For more information about the Equipping Church or to give online, please visit www.equippingchurch.us.